This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. So I just, I, I sort of thought I'd set us off um, and, and talk you through basically what is the story of this film, um, the people that made it possible and, and just sort of how we went about, um, I guess, uh, coming up with the idea to start with, um, then, then having to turn the story around in the middle, um, but all of the kind of complicated things about the financing and, and then very much the post-production. So... Um, we have John Smithson um, on the end there, who is um, the fabulous British producer of Touching the Void and 127 Hours. We have Bridget Eichen here, who's the amazing Australian producer of wonderful feature films like An Angel at My Table and why am I forgetting the second one that I should... Look Both Ways. Look Both Ways, all, all of Sarah Watts' amazing films. And then um, I very specifically wanted to invite Christian to come today, who Christian Gazelle, who is our amazing editor, who um, really was a very big part of this f- making this film successful. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we want to kind of have a bit of a focus on in this session is, is story and structure and how you make feature docs work um, in the edits. So, so that's the, the team we have today. Um, my my kind of introduction to this story came, um, you know, as a, as a, a young, ambitious 20-year-old. Um, I, I used to do a bit of running around in the Himalayas and, and kind of this story was always something that was very close to my heart um, and I'd worked as a camera operator and um, high-altitude director on a number of um, big Discovery Channel series and things like that and and have always felt frustrated basically that that the Sherpas always seemed to hit the cutting room floor and it felt very clear to me that there was a story there and so it was something that had gestated in the back of my mind and and certain circumstances I guess collided um, and we we got the timing right a a massive fight broke out between Sherpas and foreigners um, on Everest in 2013 just as we were cutting our pitch trailer and we kind of knew that now was the the right time to make the film Um, the, what I want to focus on a little bit in this session is, um, is also what makes a feature doc as opposed to a television hour and, and so that's something that we'll touch on a little bit. Um, I thought what I might start with is playing the pitch trailer because um, I really think having a great pitch trailer, for me I'm a big fan of these and, and I've in the last few years I've I've done a pitch trailer for every project and so far I've had a 100% hit rate with those pitch trailers and so I thought it was a good place to start because it's um, it, it was the beginning of how we managed to get this film financed um, which sent us off on our way. Um, so if you could just roll that um, pitch trailer which I just before it starts um, uh, is made by the amazing guys at Solid State. Um, and, you know, I figure you can spend two months cutting your own pitch trailer or get someone really great to do it, and, um, and here it is. It's a great trailer, right? And um, what I probably should have talked about a little bit before we played the trailer, I'm running a bit out of order here, sorry, John, is um, that... You know, I, I decided if I wanted to do this, I just, it was a little bit go big or go home. And so I, I went over to the World Congress because um, I decided I wanted to, if anyone was going to get this film financed, it was probably John Smithson. And then if anyone was going to get it up in Australia um, and make it happen, it was Bridget Eichen. So I very pragmatically um, approached both of those people and I was pretty lucky that they said yes. Um, but it was a very deliberate choice in both those cases because I wanted it to be a feature documentary right from the start. I didn't want to um, make a television documentary. I felt that the idea was big enough and that the production value, so everything from the trailer, it was all conceived as a feature doc. It wanted to feel feel cinematic. I had very cinematic ambitions for the project and um, 
and and so it was a very deliberate pragmatic choice to put the team together I did as well as attaching Christian um, who was a feature editor that we'll talk about a little bit down the track but perhaps you guys can talk about from your point of view um, why why you said yes maybe <laughs> and what you saw in the in the project yeah well I found it a very appealing um, proposal from Jen when we first talked about it um, I guess I was interested in what made the now of the story um, you know what what was that and um, luckily that question was answered not very far ahead in the future actually not at the time when I said yes by the brawl which um, kind of was a very l lucky for us moment when we were in the middle of financing I didn't really know Jen before so I um, but I had been a big fan of, of Solo and I knew from her experience on, on Everest that um, that she had formed very good relationship with the, the Sherpa team that we would be working with. So I did my homework and really felt that um, the story would be in good hands with Jen, which is you know a big part of why I would you know say yes or no to a project um, depending on, on how, um, likely the access was going to be um, and I also th thought the um, uh, the I don't know the big scope of the story was was really of interest to me so there were, there were many reasons to say yes and the timing was right you know that's like that's the kind of lucky thing someone approaches you and you, you're either able to consider it or not but I was able to consider it I'm thrilled that I did um, I didn't really want to do it, that was the problem, because uh, I don't normally do outside projects. Uh, I vowed after Touching the Void never to do another mountain project, because it's so unbelievably difficult to do. I had some worries about the story, because I don't really like issue stories, and I was worried we had enough there. But Jen is an extraordinarily persuasive individual. I really liked Solo. I really, really like the way uh, I feel very strongly about this difference between TV and then doing feature documentary. They're fundamentally different. Feature documentary isn't just a long, flabby TV documentary. It's something completely different. And I so admire Jen, the way that she was rising to that challenge, working with people who had been there. And I thought, give it a go. And uh, I've never regretted that decision ever since, but um, you know, I was t touch and go whether I was going to do it. And then what we were almost forgetting, just seeing that tape again, made me remember that they'd sort of lined up all the finance. You would all know much better than I do how it works in Australia. So there's all the Screen Australia money, but it was vital we had the international money. And it was getting tight because everyone had to go out to Everest for the filming window in 2014, and we didn't have that final piece of money, which would mean the film, uh, Screen Australia money would kick in. And then I was at a meeting with Universal Pictures in London, talking about another project, uh, which actually that project never happened. And I was like at the end of the meeting, said, oh, take a look at this. And if ever the value of a pitch tape was justified, it was that moment where I just put it on in the machine. And the woman said, yeah, I like that. And they sort of made a decision in principle in the room that they were going to support the film. And then I remember calling you guys, and, and, and suddenly we were in go mode. And, you know, and talk I suddenly about the thought, who the hell's going to look after my kids for the next? <laughs> I, I wasn't prepared to do childcare. Um, but um, that, that really, so that's why, that's why I get involved. Uh, you know, that's what started the, uh, the journey. Uh, but I really, I genuinely didn't know how the story would evolve. Um, no, uh, but I no, thought it might be fun. Mm. And it, I can be lightly involved if it's <laughs> <laughs> sort of not. Uh, but and then it all turned out very differently as we're going to come on. Yeah. So I, I thought probably just the next step was just to talk about the setup of the team um, because it was on a project like this really critical. Um, we, you know, I had worked on Everest before and so I knew that you can't just get any kind of. I, I mean, I have very cinematic. Um, ambitions for the film um, there's plenty of amazing uh, Australian cinematographers but there's not very many of them who have experience on Everest and and it's really a thing because you don't know how your body's going to respond to altitude and so I knew 
as an insurance policy, I re really needed proven talent um, at altitude. Um, and so uh, we ended up with a team of three cinematographers, which may sound like a lot, um, but when you're working at, you know, 8,000 metres, you know, you really need to divide and conquer and you need lots of people and you know you have to bank on someone going down. Um, and when I say going down, getting sick and just physically unable to work. Um, and so I chose, um, I, you know, vigorously uh, pursued this amazing American cinematographer called Renan Ozturk, um, who just also happens to be a North Face-sponsored athlete and one of the best climbers in the world. Um, so he came on quite early and he was sort of key because I knew that he could achieve incredible um, cinematography at, at very, in very, very difficult conditions. Um, and then I also chose another American um, who I'd worked with on the Discovery Channel series and he'd summited Everest three times already. So he was a great insurance policy. And then I took um, uh, a third Australian cinematographer, Hugh Miller, who I'd worked with on quite a few projects before. And he wasn't proven at high altitude, but he, I knew him to be tough and a really hard worker and, and has a beautiful eye. But one of the other really crucial things that um, it felt like the right thing to do at the time, but it ended up being the best decision we made was um, really consulting with the Sherpa community and bringing um, Sherpas onto the film team. And so Bridget and I went ahead, um, first of all, to set up the relationship with the expedition company and my main character, Pervatashi, who I'd known for 10 years, but I it was really important that he understood what it was that we were asking him to do. He said, yeah, 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 fine, no problem. And I said, but this is what it's going to mean, you know, and I really need you to be okay with that because otherwise this isn't going to work. So Bridget and I went over and did that. And then a few months later, Hugh Miller and I went over again and we chose, we selected and then trained two Sherpa cinematographers um, who ended up, and when you see the film, which and you'll see some of their material actually that they shot in this next clip, um, but they were just kind of crucial on a whole lot of levels. A, they gave us access to places and things that we would never have had had access to, and those are the things that make this film special, I think. But also that when the shit hit the fan on this project, I had people on the ground that were able to feed the Sherpa grapevine and, and say, no, 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 these guys are okay. You know, they're making our film, they're making the Sherpa film. And they became kind of our mouthpieces and the, and the, the word really spread on the Sherpa grapevine and, and, and we found ourselves in a position where we were really supported and, and access was opened up to some of these big political meetings that were going on and that kind of thing. So it just sort of turned out to work on a whole lot of levels. And their work, the standard of their work actually blew me away. I was... Um, uh, you know, you'll see some of it in there, um, and they just they did an amazing job. Um, and we probably should mention at this point Bridget um, Nima. Do you mm. want to talk a little bit about Nima? Mm. Well, coincidentally, I, uh, I I'm I'm a New Zealander and grew up in the shadow of the Ed Hillary um, story and family, and had always been very um, affected by his dedication to the uh, well-being of the Sherpas after he had climbed Everest. And as a kind of strange sort of consequence of that, my family in Sydney have ended up being the, the, the kind of Australian host family for a young um, Sherpa guy who arrived in Sydney about five years ago. And um, I didn't tell him what I was doing for a while, but over time it seemed like the right thing to do to ask him if he would like to join us to be the interpreter stroke translator, not something he'd ever done before. He, you know, he works in a hotel. But he turned out to be the most incredible um, conduit for us to many people in the community, as well as a source of information and intelligence along the way. And later in the edit, um, I can talk more about this later, he um, laboured for months translating the many, many, many hours of footage that was either in Nepali or Sherpa. So a very um, intrinsic part of our tiny team. And just a real, it was my wingman really, mm. when, when things started to get really difficult at base camp, um, he was like my advisor, you know. So he was, he was pretty important. Um, I thought just what I'd touch on quickly now is just the importance um, of never stopping the focus on story and you know I'm, I'm really a big believer in structure 
as I think structure then creates creative freedom once you've found structure. Um, so I, one of the things I had to do, and I'm sure you've all had to do it, where you have to write a treatment about something you don't know is going to happen. And so I had to really essentially write the film in order for it to get financed um, by, by Screen Australia. Um, and even though none of that, well, not, not none of it, but a lot of it didn't end up happening. Obviously, we never ended up going to the summit. Um, I think in doing that and being forced to do that forces you to think about what is the essence of the story that I'm trying to tell. And so it's, it's like pulling teeth at the time. It's incredibly hard to do, but it's, it's just so worth it. So what I ended up doing was writing a 20-page treatment for the Screen Australia application. Um, and it was hard and we batted it around a lot and and John is really big on structure and, and he would you know he really pushed me as did Bridget um, until we all kind of agreed that it was you know um, good and, and that's what got us through Screen Australia along with the pitch and another pitch document um, and then once we were financed John came out um, I think he'd anticipated coming out once he ended up coming out <laughs> about three times um, and we nutted out structure on the whiteboard. And so I really felt that even though everything changed when we were in the field, as it always does, I, I think having that structure so you know, ingrained in my brain, I kind of really knew what it was. It helped me make decisions in the field. So when things went wrong, I could come back to, but what is the essence of the story? And in fact, that never changed. And it was about respect. Christian and I talked about this a lot in the edit. And it was about a, a film about the disproportionate risks that Sherpa's taken, those things. So I always kind of had those strong ideas to come back to and having worked so hard and being pushed so hard on, yes, but that's not good enough and it's not, you know, that's TV, it's not a feature doc and, and all of these things, it really forced me to, to do my homework and, and it wasn't easy but it really sort of paid off when I was in the field when I had to think on my feet because I always had that to fall back on. It's It's... Unbelievably important, and I, you know, I'm involved in a fair amount of TV production and feature doc production, and whenever they go wrong, it's because no one had an idea what the story was at the beginning. They had an aspiration, they had a film in their head that may or may not happen, but nothing blocked out and implanting firmly this idea of a beginning, a middle, an end, a proper three-out structure, a proper storyline an arc that would take you through the film with the issues that you want to hang from that and the characters that are going to take you through that is just vital and it doesn't happen half enough you know too often and on anyone with you know where in my day job in london we make everybody do that and it's never ever wasted but i'm still surprised how often it doesn't happen and, very, and this idea that, oh, it's a documentary, oh, we'll just follow what will happen, uh, we've got to go with the veracity of the situation, is complete bollocks. It's a really important, and as Jen said, she'd got a roadmap. So no matter, even though the, change, the story changed 90% or 95% from what was planned, even so, the roadmap was still valid. And it's true, isn't it? And we were... Totally mm. true. The themes were the same. Yeah. Because in of, fact... Yeah. And I'm sorry, happened. I was a real tyrant about it. I know I was, but <laughs> he it was, and it's, that's why I like working with him because you need someone to kick your but ass. But it's like just there's one lesson today for anyone thinking about doing the, and it's so much so when you're doing. It's not an hour. You can wing it a bit more on a TV doc if it's 58 minutes or whatever the you're. But once you're doing 90 minutes on a big screen in a cinema, captive audience, different ball game. If your story's not playing, you, you're losing. And it uh, doesn't matter how many, how many beautiful visuals you have, and we had potential for amazing visuals. You can't tell a story about Everest just with pretty pictures. That's right. And, and I just want to reiterate, um, we talked about this when we were planning, and Christian will talk more from his perspective in a minute, but the, the adding the end of the treatment, it's, it kind of seems like a crazy thing to do, but I wrote the ending of the film, and even though... And in fact, the ending in many ways was not weirdly not dissimilar to what we ended up doing you have to speculate about how your main character has transformed because for me character transformation is is story um that's what story is and unless you have a transformation you probably with your main character you probably don't have a story and so i speculated about all of that stuff but again 
that ended up being really valuable because I think what it shows, if you can write the ending, is that you understand what the transformation that your characters are going to go through um, and that shows an understanding of story. So you might feel like an idiot kind of speculating about something that you don't know, but it's it's worth doing it just to show that you you understand how the story might play out. So but I just I'll remembered just something say, else about yeah. that. A lot of the people who finance uh, theatrical documentary, uh, you know, and Universal, the biggest film company in the world, they're used to having a script. They can see precisely what the dialogue is, what the stage instructions and everything. They know exactly what they're committing to. They commit to a documentary that's nervous as hell. You can't just do it on a pitch tape and a three-page, this three-pager. So that 20-odd pages that Jen uh, wrote that we all argued about all the time, that that was so important because Universal clutched on that like it was a script and it almost became more like the Holy Bible for them because when we couldn't make it, we had issues, but Mm. we'll come to that. But that was, you know, you actually didn't have a choice when you start trying to bring in money from people like that who only work in the scripted environment. And you had to pitch it as a feature story that it was going to have all that kind of drama. But just a little word of... um, a, a note that um, that's something I would do next time and I'd advise you to do too. If you are going to write the speculative document and you, you know, in a sense you're promising, I mean, the readers can read it as if you're promising that this treatment will actually um, take place, uh, just write a little note at the end to say this document is speculative because actually it did somewhat backfire on us, which um, we'll talk about later. Um. So uh, I'm going to say one more thing really, really quickly about the process because um, of that pre-shoot that we did, that we went Mm -hmm. over and trained the Sherpas and I did a bunch of interviews there that um, we came back and then John came out before the main shoot and we watched the interviews and we realised that even though, you know, these guys could speak English-ish, it wasn't going to fly and and so that pre-shoot really helped us understand that no we have to do this in their language um and they transformed in their you know they 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 became a lot more confident and that was a really critical creative decision that that pre-shoot really helped Mm. us understand but i just thought now was a good time to to just jump into it and um and two weeks into the shoot, we've assembled the team and we trek up to base camp. And in fact, some of our crew had only just arrived about two days before. And then this happens. Um, if you could play the avalanche and aftermath clip, please. Ian. So that was um, it's about 6.30 in the morning. Um, and I was in my tent sort of nervously running a shot list for the day. And, and we'd been up in the middle of the night um, <coughs> filming the Sherpas going through the icefall for their first trip and I was aware of the fact that our Sherpas were in the icefall and and I heard the avalanche um, from my tent and very quickly one of the Sherpa staff came to my tent and told me what had happened and so we just jumped up and and kind of sort of felt like we spent the next two weeks running. Um, What I was struck by just watching that clip again then was... um, our amazing sound recordist, how quickly he responded to what had happened, found out what the rescue channel was and started recording mm. um, that audio because that became a really critical part to the um, the unfolding drama and narrative because you got to hear the Sherpa point of view up on the mountain and that was really, really, really critical. And we also had two Sherpa cameramen filming, so that guy who was filming with a GoPro going through the icefall, he, he, I always get asked if he was okay, and yes, he was okay. It wasn't the actual avalanche. Um, it was a smaller snowfall that had happened in the icefall. Um, and so I guess, you know, my immediate response was just, this was the story and I had to keep going. And um, I remember Renan, my other cinematographer, we both just kind of ran to the camera tent, grabbed cameras um, and and started filming Um, and I kind of knew at that point that this was a big deal Um, but it didn't become clear for at least another week whether or not the expedition would even continue so suddenly I didn't know what what the main part of my story was anymore so I just had to film everything pretty much you didn't have a film you didn't have a film you're um, you're minimizing the crisis we were facing. <laughs> so the spine of the story that we'd promised was um, the summit 
the world-breaking summit attempt of Pobotashi to reach the summit for the 22nd time. That was the story. And suddenly, no one was going anywhere. Everyone was at base camp. So here we were without, without a story. Um, and, and not only that, but all our main characters, um, our Sherpa team, because they lived so close to base camp, they all decided to go home because their families were all freaking out. So they all decided to go home for four days. So None of the principal characters, characters were involved in the story. We're going to talk about this. <laughs> you had no idea how long you'd be on the mountain. You could be thrown off the mountain at any moment. We'd shot 10% of the film, all of which was likely to be useless given what had, had happened. You had financiers completely expecting the 20 pages that we'd given them, the comfort blanket. Sitting in London. Uh, we had no... One of the financiers, Screen Australia, the was incredibly supportive, actually. They yes, got we can it. talk about yeah. that. But mm. yeah, this is why you do documentary, um, the, because you follow real situations. And yeah, There was no footage of the actual event. Either. We had no footage mm. of the actual mm. event. Um, communications with base camp were a nightmare. Terrible. I was trying to call all the time to get to Jen and say, get filming, get filming, get filming. And we just... And I was too busy to answer because I was filming. Stop being <laughs> emotional, I said. And also, just remember that filming at altitude is not like filming anywhere else. You're exhausted all of the time. Your brain is kind of on a go slow. Even doing up your shoelaces is incredibly hard. So the task was like amplified in a doubly, doubly horrendously um, complicated way. And there was the, um, you know, just the, the mess of people not knowing what was going on. Um, yeah, it was a very, very confusing but, time. But it was a complete train crash because you, if we couldn't, how much of the money had we spent? And maybe 50% oh. or more because yeah, we were more. there. We had all these resources mm. and suddenly this emerged that there was a great story, but could we film it? And so not, that was yet another layer of jeopardy. And it was, you know, it was as critical as it gets in, in documentary filmmaking. I mean, mm. I was really worried that we, would, that we would be able to half tell the story. Mm. Uh, and mm. somehow, as Christian said, conjure, you know, with a few pictures here and there, God knows how we'd get pictures. It was, I was more worried than I ever told you because I didn't think that was helpful. <laughs> um, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> well, you were running around like an idiot at base camp trying to film anything and everything. And that's where the Sherpas really came, that relationship, because where a lot of other people, in fact, a lot of other people were freaking out that because of the fight in the previous year that you saw in the pitch trailer, everyone was suddenly had this idea in the back of their head that Sherpas could get violent and may get violent. And the Sherpas were angry and upset. Um, but I kind of gathered that that was not at us... Um, didn't seem to be at me, so I just kind of barreled on. And what happened is that they gr they got us access to the critical moments that if, you know, those Sherpa meetings, the very first Sherpa-only meeting, um, my, my two camera assistants, not even the camera operators, the camera assistants went down with their iPhones and filmed it. And that that's what ended up in the film. And it's an amazing meeting. And what is being mm. said is critical and I didn't even know what was being said until weeks later in the edit when it had been you know, well, I'm sorry you're being too modest here because every other film crew pulled out of the mountain didn't they? Everyone else left. A lot of them fearing wrongly in Jen's view that they were going to be attacked by the Sherpas or, or whatever everyone else had gone the only people still filming up there was you with your the, the team that you had left and that's uh, and you didn't know how long you would be allowed to stay up there and that that was where the film was won and lost. Unfortunately, it was won because of your efforts. But I mean, that was such a critical, such a critical stage. But everyone else had gone home, so there's no chance of picking up. Your know, giant discovery team were up there doing this guy who's going to jump down in a wingsuit. Universal were there filming second unit for their big Everest feature film. Google Maps were up there doing, you know, filming for the Google Earth. They all went down straight away. Didn't they? That's because their story was a summit and mm. ours never was. Ours never, for me, yet the film I wanted to make actually wasn't a climbing film. It was a, it was a very human story. Mm. And so um, I guess we were in a fortunate <laughs> position there. Uh, although I didn't feel like that at the time, let me tell you. It wasn't much fun. It was very emotional. It was very stressful. And it was very physically demanding and all of those kind of things. And, and you know, you have family freaking out at home going, come home, come home. And, and sick crew. You can't replace sick crew. It's very hard to get crew who are sick off the mountain, even though they'd love to be off, because it's a two-week trek to get anyone 
back up there. So it was it was a, a very very hard time for the the crew who were there. So I thought maybe it would be a good time to play that helipad clip, um, which was just an example of just kind of figuring things out on the run during the day. Um, if you could play that clip, it's the one that we're playing slightly out of order. So. Um, God, it just reminds me of how emotional it was. It was. Um, We're forgetting one other thing as well, aren't we? That I keep crying. Screen Australia were great, and Bridget, because um, you were back home in Sydney by then, weren't mm. you? Uh, Bridget was keeping Screen Australia okay. Uh, I had the problem of, of Universal in in uh, in the London bit, and I was just trying to buy us time because. They were worried that they'd put all this money in and not having a film at all, and they were fixated. They, you know, and we were all geared up to get all these brilliant high-altitude, vertiginous summit shots, all these brilliant cameramen to get all these pictures, none of which we could ever provide. So it was there was a real danger. They can pull the plug. If they pull the plug, the whole thing comes down. Everything comes crashing down, and it's a nightmare. And we spent I don't know how many million dollars or more that you, you may have spent. So it was keeping them. And of course, there was no material. I didn't see any material. I saw that stuff when I came out to Sydney about six or eight weeks later uh, when you got home. But it was trying to keep them on board. And to their credit, and I'm not going to slag Universal off because they were really good, ultimately. Mm. It's just their big, that's the way it works in that, those big organizations. And it was just, give us time, give us time, give us time. Mm. We'll show you stuff. We'll show you stuff. You cut together a sample scene as soon as you could. But that was a, I, that was a bit of a scare. It's more scary than I told you because it just, we, could, we couldn't risk them bailing out. Uh, and all you could do was get on with Christian and, and, and get making the film. But that, um, I've not had a situation quite like that before. That 20-page treatment that I talked about that I yeah. wrote initially, I then had to entirely rewrite that. Um, and I couldn't entirely rewrite that until I had rushes to watch and translations done. And there, we came back with about 400 hours of footage. Um, and so that took time. So um, maybe what we can, can do is... I mean, the other thing, I just, just to add, that I noticed watching that was there is about five different cameras shooting what you just saw then. And that was everything from GoPros to um, one of the cameramen, um, you know, on a long lens somewhere, me down at the helipad, Renan shooting those amazing slow motion shots. You know, we just kind of, and everyone just worked on instinct and we had no time to communicate. But I think what, what I had really worked hard to do was to endlessly communicate to my crew in the field before that and so that they knew what the story was they they had it deeply inside their brains as well so they knew how to respond to what we were seeing as well and that was so none of that could be done on the day it was just me saying get out of your tent and run we've got to go and cover this and then I didn't see them for the next six hours and everyone just did their own thing um, which was an amazing credit to them all because that's how we got that scene covered um, which is obviously probably the most important <laughs> scene in the film um, so Christian, um, do you want to talk a little bit, uh, let me introduce you uh, first. Maybe we should just briefly talk about the pre-Christian, like, I mean, you've glossed over the mess of coming back and... <laughs> <laughs> you're just underplaying the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, you are underplaying so the whole thing. It's like it. so much more I'm dramatic. I'm sorry you're just not going to be allowed to get away with it. <laughs> Um, well, a very bedraggled crew arrived in Kathmandu after, two weeks after the uh, avalanche. They'd been a week on the mountain, they'd, they'd been told to leave, and they sort of fought to stay. Fought to stay, <laughs> and then, you know, went back down, stopping in the village on the way to get some very crucial interviews, which helped shape the ending of the film, which I'm very, very grateful for. But it was also, um, I mean, I just have to say that the. We, I think we probably averaged about four or five hours sleep a night. Um, in particular, um, Renan Ozturk, who was just completely obsessive. Mm. Um, and he was fighting with me to stay at base camp. And I said, there will be no one here and nothing <laughs> here. We have to go. And he would get up every night um, at about four in the morning to set off um, a time lapse. And then he would be back again. You know, Then he'd be up till midnight, you know, fixing all the equipment. I mean... 
lugging it all. We didn't want to wake the Sherpas up and didn't want to ask them to work in the night. So we were, or Anan in particular, and also came were lugging equipment across glaciers and climbing up mountains in the middle of the night in freezing conditions to get these amazing shots that made the film um, the cinema kind of experience that it is. And that was because that was always a crucial part of the vision is that it had to be, we had to see this world in a way that it hadn't been shot before. And, you know, I'd worked on a lot of those projects and you do the best you can, but, you know, you don't spend, a, you just try and cover the story. Whereas here it was a really important part to make it beautiful and to see the world in a way that it hadn't been seen before. And that meant, you know, things like shooting beautiful shots of yak's tails that these guys kept trying to make me cut out and, mm-hmm. and snowflakes and just the beauty of the way that the Sherpas view the world, which is different to the way they observe their environment in a different way because it means a different thing to them. So those things were really amazing. And, and, and what the guys, you know, with very little direction from me actually managed to pull off over those few days was, was amazing. And then after that, we just kept talking um, and we would always just, we just nonstop talk about what might happen, how we might cover it, how we should strategize it, who we should send where, because we had clients on another mountain at the time and that was an important unfolding part of the story so I lost two of my crew to them which meant I had to pick up the camera and film myself which I really wanted to avoid because I'm not the greatest shooter um, but it ended up not mattering because it what mattered of course is just to get the story and so we cover up my bad stuff with Renan's beautiful shots and um, but we got you know the drama and the content. Jen's mantra had always been get the beautiful shots when you can but you know when the shit hits the fan just pick it up and shoot it and yeah. Luckily, we ended up with both of those things. For me, the beauty shots do more than um, what Jen was describing. They actually underpin the whole theme of the film, which is about um, different um, value systems in relation to to Mount Everest. And unless you see the essential beauty and magnificence and the, ma- the majesty of the mountain, um, it's it's hard to sort of see that emotional thread um, clearly enough so they do that as well. Well that's right I mean it's the relationship that the Sherpas have to it but also why foreigners are so obsessed with climbing Mm. it it was kind of important to show that as well um, because it is a mountain that has really captured our imaginations and a lot of people are prepared to risk um, their lives to to climb it for whatever crazy reason. Um, As Bridget said so we had to rewrite the treatments, but this was going on while we were concurrently doing um, what was sort of to be uh, an assembly edit. Um, So we had two fantastic um, documentary editors um, assembling the footage, but in the end it was was just so much of it Mm. that it kind of never really was an assembly or part of the edit. It was just getting the footage in, ironing out the technical problems, and and actually just getting the footage transcoded. Mm. It had become totally a cutting room film. the only thing that was going to save us was what those guys could create in Which the cutting room. Christians you had all this ton of material. <laughs> I was just that you you didn't know how much you had, and you didn't know if you had a film. You didn't know if you had. We a didn't film. know. We had and a with film. most uh, of it not in English. Uh, uh, most of it not in English. None of it logged. There were mm. all these jewels hidden away and everything. But that's where you know Christian I thought was absolutely brilliant because mm. out of this, like, it's like being given a giant rubbish bag full of sort of clips <laughs> of film. Rubbish is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. And, then, <laughs> it's a lovely and, way to put and it. somehow make a film out of that, and and that was the real, you know, that's we, that's where the film was made. You were mm. heroic on the mountain and got the material, but um, you were <laughs> we still had a lot of work to do. It's yeah. a marathon heroic in the cutting room. Mm. Um, so. Um, my husband actually recommended Christian to me um, and said, you need to talk to Christian Gazelle. And we looked at his CV and and it had a whole lot of um, animation films on it, both the Happy Feet movies. And we said, oh, there's a lot of space in between. We're all trying to figure out what he must have been doing in between. And then we talked to Christian and realised that animations, you know, take four years to make. And there was some concern around can an animation editor... Um, edit a feature documentary and um, but from the minute I met Christian a he really got what it was that we were trying to do and was really into it that's really important to me and then 
he, I could really tell that he understood story and it was actually just about story and it didn't matter if it was a feature narrative, if it was an animation or if it was a feature doc. At that point, it was just about storytelling. Um, and, and John, you, you, know, you also kind of came on board with that. Oh, no, I'd woken up by now because I thought there was uh, this light-touch involvement I was going to have. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's fair to say I knew we, had a, we could make a really good film here now. Mm. Uh, so I upped my engagement factor, which meant I came out more to terrorise you. <laughs> but, but it's true because I know... So, I mean, the, you can't muck around about it. The truth of the situation was the avalanche was, first of all, a terrible tragedy, but it completely blew into the open the themes which were the core to the film right back to Jen's original treatment, which was the relationship between the Sherpas and their Western clients. And nothing could have blown that into sharp relief more than this devastating tragedy in which 16 of the Sherpas died. And, and Carrying loads for the fire. Yeah, yeah. It, so we suddenly had... You know, it's just whether we had the material to tell the film. So I'm going to hand over to you now, Christian, and talk about what... So Christian uh, magically pressed some buttons and it all came out. <laughs> Four and a half months later. <laughs> um, well, I guess maybe if you want to talk about what attracted you to the story a little bit and then a bit about our process. Sure, sure. Um, so um, <clears throat> I think everybody um, has a view um, on uh, Sherpas. I mean, they're pretty... Um, uh, they're certainly in the popular culture, and Tenzing is is probably what we associate most with with that group of people. And I think every, and I think mainly mainly men too, probably have an attraction to it because of the adventure associated with Everest, and but not exclusively, of course. And so it had always interested me. It was always part of my imagination when I sort of so so so. Firstly, the the, the topic was was really attractive but then there was clearly in the story there was clearly two things that you need in a in a in a story that is a feature um, uh, any story really um, but a, particularly a feature of 90 minutes or, or, or thereabouts is you need an imbalance and the imbalance you need an imbalance in the world and the imbalance in the world is is the, the lack of recognition for Sherpas and respect and respect yeah um, and then you need conflict, and the fight was pretty good evidence of conflict. You still don't have a story there, but you've got the basis of what is um, a potentially a feature. You do need the beginning, middle, and end thing that John was talking about, but, um, but I, I just thought that that was enough um, for me to think that there could be something really fantastic. And, uh, and I was just up for it because uh, it was not something that I'd seen before and, and there was huge potential. And I think we were talking about it even before the accident, but then you'd gone in another direction and, and then we talked again after the accident. And I think even I could see after the accident, I could see that that was even potential for something even bigger. Um, but. But not without a hell of a lot of problems to solve. No, not, the, not without a lot of problems to solve. So, but then I'd, I'd also known about Solo and um, Bridget and John's involvement. It was just a very attractive team, and so so that's what drew me to it. And yeah, it doesn't mean that there wasn't wasn't a huge amount of uncertainty there. Um, and we talked on the phone. I think I was at Bondi in the car park at Bondi, looking at the surf, and uh, which is a long way from Everest. And we were talking about. We had our initial conversation about the film, and I asked you a lot of questions, and and you, the, what you answered, I just knew you had a great handle on it, and I sensed that there there was an arc there, and I think you probably knew that, or even though you didn't necessarily have a full picture of the end film, you couldn't possibly have that, but but I just it was just something great to be involved in, and a great sort of um, test of your filmmaking skills and storytelling skills. So yeah. So. Um so we kind of did this post-process where we did the kind of, a, although it wasn't an assembly and I was furiously rewriting all of the treatments and trying to get Universal back on board and it was almost at that point then that, that they kind of said yes, I think, if I remember correctly, mm. and then Christian and I started and um, you, were, you were, when we were preparing for this, you were talking about, um, you know, 
the toolkit that you have and and documentary and the iterative nature of oh, them yeah, yeah. and yeah. and cards and and the various sort of structural tools that were used to kind of um you know find like find those story arcs um yeah i think strangely enough um you know you, if you if you talk about those three um main groups um of of filmmaking being um you know live action documentary and animation i would definitely put animation at one end of the spectrum and I would put live action at the other end of the spectrum because, at least from an editorial point of view, because animation is an iterative process, purely iterative. I mean, you start with a script, but it fully forms in the cutting room. And documentary and a documentary of this nature is, is iterative more so than a live action movie. So um, that's what helped me. I, my, my experience in animation actually helped me more than the live action experience I'd had to navigate the uncertainty of it, of the edit. So it's just something to, to you know, remember, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that, um, just to speak of the problems that we were facing when we went into the edit, was that we had an Everest film um, with no climbing. And, and people thought that it's kind of easy, I think, to watch the film and think, well, the, the avalanche made it a slam dunk because suddenly you had this massive drama and you just followed that. And, and mm. to some extent, you know, we could never have anticipated that. And yes, it made for a stronger film. But in actual fact, that's not what we had in the... I mean, what we had in the cutting room was a, a hell of a lot of problems. We had our, A, the Everest film with no climbing and B, all our main characters disappearing mm. for the middle of the film. So maybe if you kind of talk about... Well, yeah, that was this is what we call, I suppose, the switcheroo when we <laughs> when we whole language when yeah. your whole when your main character that you've pinned all your um, aspirations on sort of leaves the stage, um, and I think the sort of gestation of that, um, I think we should probably recognise that we had another uh, character of equal, probably slightly less weight in the film um, of a Shapani. Um, a lady Sherpa um, character who was um, uh, had an arc, uh, a very emotional arc, um, but was also um, sort of spread throughout the film, sort of at the same level as Perba. And um, Perba's the main character Perba's who we'll show character. you in a sec. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, we thought it was, you know, Jen and I thought. That's awesome. She, she represents the female side. Perba represents the male side. And the she's inexperienced side. She was going to climb for yeah, the first that's time. Right. Mm. And she's emotional too. She had stakes. Mm. Her parents had... Her, her father, father had, had died, died in a similar hard. accident on the mountain yeah. and, and she'd have to give up... She'd had to give up her education yeah. in order to feed the family. And so she had enormous emotional stakes. Mm. And this was yeah. a really interesting part of the wrestling match that we had. We <laughs> thought it was great. Jen and I thought it was great. But do you want to... And John, this, is a, this relates to the switcheroo, by the way. We're going to come back to the switcheroo in a sec. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I just yeah. knew it couldn't be in the film. And um, it was a beautiful sequence, but I thought Jan was too much in love with it and Christian. Yeah. And, and uh, he was right because... And, and you can't have a... I'm obsessed about keeping within the bubble of a story... And how can you have, although she was a brilliant and beautifully shot and it upset me to get rid of such a rich visual sequence, but she had no connection to the story whatsoever. Hmm. And I, I, I secretly sided with Bridget. Can we reveal that today? We both secretly agreed that she couldn't be in the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a beautiful setup, but it went nowhere. No, it went Sadly, nowhere. It went very nowhere. reluctantly. And there was some very tense encounter. Management. And yeah. me of all people, I wouldn't... And they we made all us believe loved... that it was our decision in the end. You know, I mean, here and we are. I was are. probably in a bad mood because I'd just come off the plane from London <laughs> and no sleep and straight to the cutting room. Yeah. And we'd have a standoff and then, but to your mm. credit... But we took her and out and we right watched decision. the film and suddenly, mm. I mean, the film definitely lost something from losing Yangji, but it it was a, a more direct and cleaner uh, story. It was, a, mm. it was a real revelation. This, this mm. touches on, I think, such an important thing with theatrical doc and Christian so impressed me by getting that, is that you need the characters to work like they work in a beautifully written feature film um, in which you need strong 
foreground. We had a brilliant backdrop with Mount Everest and all the wonderful images from Renan. We had as many issues as we could shake a stick at, um, um, but they were all without us being an issue film. But you need the foreground characters to latch on, and that's hmm. and that's where Christian's animation. You know, I I was worried that an animation editor could do a doc because it's such a difficult skill, and I was thrilled to admit, I'm delighted to admit I was utterly wrong and Christian totally got it. But that was where, it, we're being too complacent about the film maybe, but that's where we, we won by shaping those strong foreground mm. characters. That's right, that's right. And uh, I'm, I'm, some people here may have seen the film and I know it's on tonight, mm. but that was the key work, getting those foreground, getting the characters to work foreground, mm. particularly Perba and this enigmatic character Russell, the uh, the team leader, who I kept on trying to describe as the plantation manager, in order to, I'd just seen Twelve Years a Slave, I think, and I wanted to, just it sounds wrong, but just to strongly de demarcate the characters, mm. so that they occupy a particular space in the story, and that you gives you that close-up camera, uh, close-up. Mm. Yeah, you, we're making a feature, and we very deliberately, we, it's like we were writing the feature film script. In but the you end. know, and if you look at the very best feature documentaries, they all do the same thing. You know, uh, Amy won the Oscar last night. You couldn't get a more brilliant foreground character than Amy Winehouse and, and mm. Sugar Man, the pre you know, all these great documentaries all have that thing of those characters um, and the characters lead you through the story and that's why mm. sort of issue-led feature documentaries, in my view, are really boring, but story-led ones and character-led ones can take mm. you through everything and that's what you you did. And well, so... As a, as a team, yeah, we all... Yeah. Because I think what happened once we took out Yangshi, just out of... Just to elaborate on, on that, is um, this... And, 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 and Perba became the main character. The stakes that we lost with Yangshi, we were able to rediscover in a more direct way with, um, with um, Perba's wife. So and I'm going to play you that clip now yeah, so you okay. know what we're talking about and then we'll talk about it some and more. And it's so important to... Sorry to interrupt no, 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 you go, it's important. It's important to, to remember about stakes because stakes are, uh, there's a lot of um, stakes and different sort of um, uh, stakes at play in a movie, but when you're talking about emotional stakes, um, it's really important to identify where they are in your film, and it's not always where you think they are. You've got to be very, um, very attuned to that, and we were lucky enough to sort of, um, for her to come through and, and, and be very powerful in that way, and I think people remember her as a character as a result, even though she doesn't have a lot of screen time. Yeah, yeah. so let, let's just play the Perbatashi intro clip and you'll meet the characters mm. that we're talking about. Some scenes with Perba's wife that um, was one of the last interviews that we did and I turned around um, to the crew. This is after the avalanche and after everything was happened, everything that was obviously before. And... I turned around to the to the crew and, in fact, all three of them, the, the translator and both the American cameramen were absolutely bawling their eyes out and I was too at this point and she was too and it was, it was this kind of interview that happened on the second to last day and it was, um, I kind of began to think, you know, maybe we have a film now. And she ended up, for me, being, you know, surprisingly, in a film about climbing and Everest and men and probably the most important character because she did exactly that what Christian said she she gave us the stakes and she you know we could see this whole story through the eyes of this family um, um, so what I thought would just be good to talk about a little bit here because I think it's um, something that I really learned from Christian um, and it was a it was a, a painful lesson for me but a really valuable one and I think we don't do it nearly enough here in Australia is is the kind of rigour of testing our ideas and feedback um, and being open to collaboration um, and and all of that kind of thing and, and the guys at the Jinx in their session yesterday touched on this um, that they they also do this test screening like it's a feature film um, and we do it in our own low budget way. Um, but it was a real revelation to me because, and I think the film probably through that process improved at least 20% um, because you, you could test your ideas against an audience. And, and Christian, maybe you talk about that because you run it so well and, 
and you know I would have the tendency to get defensive about like oh but that's in the film you know what do you mean you don't get how much the Sherpas get paid it's there it's in the film you clearly are not listening and Christian was able to explain to me that it it wasn't landing and he was why it wasn't landing and we would look at the way that, that particular thing was dramatized in the edit we would fix it up and then in the next test screening no one would ask that question anymore and they were really kind of in, important things and so gradually as bruised as I felt after every one of them in retrospect it was the absolute best thing that we could have done and I would never have done it without you pushing me into no, it. Well, yeah, it's not, but it's just a sort of a, a um, it's more often done in, in animation and, and, and things with bigger budgets but you can actually um, you can actually do it on a low budget can't you but you just got to be very careful about the Versus the audience that you choose, that they're not invested in the film in any other way than they may have paid a ticket. So you, you find people that, that that are friends of friends and 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 you know sort of um, are a bit at arm's length. Um, and those small choices are really important because obviously what you want is honesty and you want consensus. So um, uh, you just um, you you should always. Um, test your assumptions, and, um, and otherwise they are just assumptions. And and going through that process of we do, I think we did it for about three weeks. Um, we did a screening or maybe one and a half screenings a week. You know, sort of probably about four or five screenings over those three weeks. Mm. And um, the film. It's also you got to do it at the right time. Sometimes you run out of a little bit of momentum, a creative momentum, and then just seeing it with an audience yourself, you can sense the way they're responding to the film. You don't even need to, it's just little noises and, 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 and just a feeling in the room and that will, that will tell you heaps. And then you can ask them questions after about what they didn't didn't get and what, what they were distracted by and all that. It's just a hugely um, a powerful tool and it's just there, it's, 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 it's there for, for, your, for your taking, so. And you guys might think that you were, mm. you know, didn't want Yangji to be in the film and would eventually convince us and it was actually that screening process that convinced mm. me that you guys were right about that because people would say oh no she's gorgeous but I kind of don't really know why she's there and mm. when enough people said that I realized okay we have to try it we just have mm. to try it yeah, and it broke my right. heart to do it and it you know and partly it also broke hers that was the hardest conversation I had to have mm. she was devastated mm. um but you know that that was one of the things that came out of it um and i don't think that we do that enough i think in documentary in australia and just any kind of filmmaking i think it's such a, a valuable tool to be open to criticism and open to other people's ideas because at the end of the day we are making films for an audience and if the audience aren't getting something or ideas aren't yeah. landing or they're getting bored well then you're doing something wrong and the only way you're going to find that out before the <laughs> premiere is by asking them. So I found that really valuable. The other thing that um, it just sort of created this um, spirit of sort of openness and collaboration that Christian really brought into the edit suite. Um, one of the things that Universal had asked was for a really experienced feature doc to come on as a consultant. Um, feature doc editor. editor. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, feature yeah. doc editor. And, um, and so John um, had worked with um, the amazing uh, documentary editor Justine Wright, who had edited his film *Touching the Void*, and and it just so turned out she was a New Zealander, was coming to New Zealand, and and circumstances collided such that she could come out for a week when we were around about rough cut. Um, and I know a lot of editors would have found that hard to bring some kind of expert editor in and um, to sort of pick holes in our film, but it was. I mean, I'm sure you'd agree. I mean, Christian approached it entirely with the right attitude right from the word go, but it was the most amazing yeah, week it and it amazing. kind of busted yeah. us out of a, a rut that we'd been in and just pushed us and gave us the most incredible momentum. Yeah. And you're, and you're underplaying that again. Most editors would just go have a complete hissy fit if you were bringing in <laughs> this big fancy editor from elsewhere and they would walk and do all those sort of things. You'd have to talk them off the ledge and everything. Whereas... Total credit, total, <laughs> total respect for that thank, is thank that you. Christian and, and, and Jan listened to Justine and Justine embraced that spirit mm. and you sort of leapt ahead in, in, that, in that week, you know, and I, I, it's so rare to see that, but it's so, 
important, that spirit mm. of collaboration. Well, one, you were colleagues, you know, and Justine saw you as a colleague, and I think you saw mm. her as one too, and I think that was the key to it. It wasn't some big wig coming it was Kiwi in. Mafia, Bridget. <laughs> but she oh, also, I mean, she was just divine in the way she that was. she was so respectful. So gracious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she I mean, was just able to step back and say... So what is it exactly that you're trying to do there? And we say, oh, we're trying to kind of really build up the danger of the ice wall. And she goes, yeah, no. Nah. Not good enough. I think it's the, the other really, really vital <laughs> thing that underpins all of this is the time you need in the edit. People sometimes mm. think, oh, if you yeah. edit a TV doc, oh, six, seven weeks, then a 90-minute feature doc, maybe or 10 weeks is fine. It, it's impossible. You need huge amounts of time to allow all this sort of the film to emerge, it's this weird organic process. You know, things like Amy um, was in the edit for more than, more than 60 weeks. Uh, Senna was in the edit for more than 60 weeks. We weren't in the edit for, how long were we in the edit for? About 20. 25, 30 weeks? 20? Four and a half I months, think, yeah. 16, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, of course, none of this was planned and we ended up with the 10 weeks each of two assembly editors and then oh, Christian's yeah, work started. Yeah. Um, so, of course, we ran out of money and I had to go back to Screen Australia who work Honestly, I have to say, Screen Australia have been unbelievably supportive. Once they decided to support this film, they've backed us in numerous ways, and the extension of the edit was a really crucial one. But it's, if anyone gets involved and wants to get involved, fight to have that editing time, because mm. you simply, you know, minimum 20 weeks. Is, mm. I know it sounds indulgent, it is not indulgent. But there's it's something essential. different that happens between that television hour of 58 yeah. minutes or whatever it is and 90 minutes. You have to just, it's a whole different ball game. And I really, it was my first feature. It was, you know, I learned that the hard way on this project. And I would just really encourage producers here to, you know, there's a lot of this good pitch stuff going on, which is really exciting and fabulous. But what I'm hearing from editors is that they've got a TV commission and they're doing, you know, got 10 12 weeks in the edit max to do that and then they've been given two extra weeks to turn this tv doc into a feature doc i mean i just don't think we're going to be making great films that way and it's not a criticism of the filmmakers it's it's just that you need that time to test your ideas to make mistakes to restructure to bring back stuff that have hit the cutting room floor you know all of those things you need to be able to make mistakes and um and and learn from them and and test all your ideas so that's the really big thing that mm. I would take um, from this experience is just um, budget for the edit properly from mm. the start. Mm. So Christian, can, there's one element that we haven't talked about in all of this, which is, uh, yes, we came back with 400 hours of material, but there were three elements of backstory that we wanted to weave into our story. And they were, um, the original 1953 climb that Tenzing made, um, the fact that our expedition leader had previously cancelled an expedition, which raised the stakes for him, and then the brawl that you saw in 2013, as, as we showed in the pitch trailer. And those three elements um, were, uh, well, I think they extended the edit substantially. They were the subject of a great deal of conflict between yeah, yeah. us as to how and whether and where to place them. Do you want to talk about those? Um, yeah, it's 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 not an easy. Um Shall we play the Tenzing clip before we do yeah, that? So you know that. one yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. Could you play the Tenzing clip, please? I think uh, so. We're sort of uh, discussing how we integrated some um, some sort of tricky um, uh, temporal problems with the sense with, mm. with with respect to the brawl, which happened in two thousand and thirteen. Um, the ice actually happened in two thousand and. 14 yep. and the Tenzing stuff 1953 and Russell cancelling an expedition because of the dangers in the icefall in 2012. Now these are all obviously very important things for our story um, and we I think everybody here contributed um, in a big way in finding the place for these but if you were to follow the one rule overall and you can see from that scene in specifically the, each scene in a in a in a in a story, in a, especially in a feature story, feature of any sort, whether it be drama or documentary, needs to explore the th the, the theme or the argument of the movie in either a positive or a negative way. We knew from the original document, uh, the treatment, what the argument of the film was, and um, and 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 
that helped guide us um, firstly about what should what what aspects of this um, archival or what aspects of Tenzing's story should be in the movie because that guides you from a content point of view. But then as far as placement goes, um, uh, it's it's a it's a it, it was, I suppose it was very tricky and there's no easy way of going through it, but we all really contributed to, to, to where to put these things in the movie, but they were all over the place. We had the start, fight starting at the beginning of the film because that's the way the trailer started and, in, and it set up the conflict straight away, but it didn't relate to our main characters so that we, and we tried very, very hard because there, there, there was a strong... <laughs> Um, <laughs> there was a strong sense that it could have worked at the beginning, um, but we weren't able to pull it off, and that may be because we 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 um, we didn't have the skills to do it. In the end, we put it at the end of the first act, and it found a good place there. So, and I think the answer yeah. to that is that it needed the context of this history to understand how, in the last sixty years, this. Mm. That was the moment when the seeds of discontent were sown and, mm. and Sherpas began to feel not respected and, and that slowly built up and they bit their tongues for a hell mm. of a long time until that fight happened and that to me represented the bubbling over. So for me that was the structure that it ended up finding and that's why mm. the fight had to come later in the end because it needed that context to understand how things had gotten so bad. Mm. Um, and and. And so we had originally anticipated more of that Tenzing story being in the film, just because he is—he represents—he's the most famous Sherpa. But um, because then, you know, what happened on the mountain, that story ended up becoming the main story. But it was still really important to to weave him through. And he had about three different places in the film where he comes in and comes out mm. and, and represents ultimately what the story of respect. Um, yeah, which is the what is the argument that we're we're exploring in a negative or a positive way throughout the movie is, is 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 the the idea that respect for the mountain, respect for Sherpas. Um, and the, I know that the Sherpas they love the film, they're proud of the film. It was also around the time that the um, Everest movie was coming out, and I was suddenly getting all these messages from Sherpas on Facebook saying. The Everest film, very bad. It doesn't so show the Sherpa side. When can you put the Sherpa movie out? Um, and so then Norbu, Tenzing, so they saw the very, very first cut, the immediate people and those families and the Sherpa camera crew and they all came down from the villages and watched it and, you know, sent messages and things like that. Um, and then Norbu, Tenzing, Tenzing Norgay's son, recently took it on a bit of a tour around Nepal screening it in in the main Sherpa villages and stuff and he just said the response has been amazing um you know he he said the Sherpas are very very proud of the film and so that was pretty validating yeah and a relief and we've also been using the film as a fundraising tool in Australia and New Zealand to raise money through the Himalayan Foundation for the um, rebuild after the earthquake last year and that's been you know, really lovely that we've been able to work with Kathmandu and Intrepid Foundation to make the screenings happen, which are previews for the theatrical release later in the month, but they're also specifically um, sending funds back to Nepal where, it's, where they're needed. So we, we might um, just play the trailer if anyone wants to see it, otherwise you can all escape. <laughs> You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website. <laughs>